Join us at The Hedge for a conversation about engineering, technology, and business. In this episode, Russ White, Tom Ammon, and Roland Dobbins dig into working remotely. Good morning, Tom. Glad to see you with us uh, this early morning. And Roland. Hi, Roland. How are you? It's been a while since we've spoken. Oh, good to talk to you, Russ. Thanks for having me. And uh, good to talk to Tom as well. Uh, I think things are going well. Thank you. Good. Excellent. So today on The Hedge, we are talking about working remotely. Now, me, I've been, I started working uh, out of my house when I was at Cisco, like, like 10, 15 years ago, I actually made a deal with my manager to stay home one day a week and ended up staying home two days a week and then three days a week and then four days a week. And then I took I took a job where my office was in San Jose and or in Reston for a while. And I was in the office about one day a month or two days a month. So I've progressively spent less and less time in the office. I mean, I actually find it more productive myself. Uh, you know, you can't be out of the office all the time, but I find it to be more productive. Now, Tom, on the other hand, I know just moved to be in the office, so that'll yes. be a that'll be a contrary experience for Roland and I, because <laughs> Roland has also uh, been remote for many years, right, Roland? Well, that's right. Yeah, I'm really 20, 20 years now, because um, even though I've had you know offices or cubicles or what have you, I typically didn't use them. Um, uh, very much, and um, I'm lucky enough that um, uh, with the, the I've been in the industry for what 30, 34 years now, and uh, over the last a little bit more than half of that, the the internet plus the requisite audio and video uh, technologies and VoIP and so on has, has been uh, uh, prolific enough and and pervasive enough that I was have been able uh, to do this uh, successfully. So to be honest with you, I can't imagine. Uh, reporting to an office um, every, you know, every day. Um, I'm so used to this, this mode of working, but I guess I've kind of looked out in a way and I try to work hard to, you know, to make sure that, that it works for everyone involved. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of the challenges, I mean, that you deal with. I mean, obviously, the first one is always just keeping relationships open, right? Just having relationships with people that are remote. I, they say absence makes the heart grow finder. <laughs> I, I don't know that I buy that, but okay, <laughs> if, you want, if you want to make that argument. <laughs> what do you think, Roland? <laughs> sure. So, um, a lot of it depends on you know, what, in- what industry you're in, obviously. I think a, a lot of your listeners, uh, Ross, are going to be in the IT field or, or related fields. Um, and, and so, you know, any kind of high-tech field typically um, lends itself a bit more, generally speaking, uh, to working remotely than, than other uh, types of industries, you know, in certain, certain positions, you know, that require uh, a physical presence. And it's important to know uh, the people that you're working with. That, that being said, I mean, I've been online for 40 years. I go back to, you know, TimeNet and, and uh, uh, the source and, and give it Giving away your age, man. I know, I know, <laughs> you know, FidoNet and, and, and then, you know, Usenet with Honey, you know, using Honey Danber UUCP. So, so I kind of grew up uh, at the same time that computers and networking um, uh, grew up as well. And so I'm very familiar with dealing with people, becoming, you know, friends and colleagues with people whom I've never physically met. And um, if, you, if you're able to, to put yourself in that kind of mindset, 
and, and you know, uh, extend your empathy, which is very important. Empathy is a big part uh, of working successfully remotely on, on, uh, on uh, all parties involved, you know, for all of them. Uh, but I've been able to take, you know, my empathy and reverse it and ensure that I conduct myself and take, uh, and, and take into account the needs and the schedules and the, the priorities of the people uh, that I'm working with so that I don't cause them any friction or any uh, difficulty uh, by, by working remotely. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, I would, I would say that the whole relationship thing, for me, I go to the office and I go to conferences. I go to a lot of conferences and not just to speak, right. but just to hang out. And I think they're just seeing people once every now and again and, you know, just sitting around and chatting about anything other than work. Uh, for a half an hour or an hour with somebody over breakfast or lunch or dinner or whatever it is, tends to keep things flowing as far as a relationship goes once you've built a relationship. Um, on the other side, there is a lot to be said for knowing how to work with people over remote, over email, over things like that. People complain about email not being emotional enough. In many ways, it's actually too emotional, in my That's opinion. Right. Yeah, uh, I agree. <laughs> I, I think a lot of it too depends on uh, the, I mean, the culture that you work in is established by somebody else unless you work for yourself. And so the, I mean, the organizational culture has to be one that makes it possible for you to succeed uh, as a remote um, uh, contributor. And that's a lot different than my manager gave me permission to work from home X days a week or always like for the free to really succeed. It's a lot more than having permission to work from home. I think people have to have the same set of expectations and, um, the company has to accept leadership from someone who's not in the corporate office. Um, you know, that can be a big, a big undertaking just by itself. You know. Yeah. And that depends. That, that's all very specific, you know, to your particular circumstances and background and experience and so forth. And so people have to assess that correctly. Another thing too, is that most organizations, not all, but most organizations, um, if you join a new organization in, in many cases, um, it is necessary um, to physically uh, go to an office during the onboarding process and you know, meeting people and, and that kind of thing. You can form those relationships and make sure that that um, folks see you not just as some abstract character on the screen or a voice, you know, on a polycom unit, but uh, actually as, as a human being, a thinking, feeling a human being with whom they can empathize and, you know, who share, you, know you share the same professional goals. You want to succeed for yourselves and for the, for the organization. And so that's really um, important as well. And uh, along those lines, um, um, certainly attending conferences and, and things like that are good. Uh, also, if you happen to have colleagues who are coming through town, wherever you happen to be, making sure that uh, that people understand that they should say hello and let you know in advance so that you can meet up with them and you know, have a good dinner or have lunch or something and and, and sync up together is, is really important as well, um, I think. And that goes a long way uh, because that way you're kind of introducing an element of you know, personal um, hospitality as well as professional hospitality. And that helps kind of cement those relationships so that they stay intact over the long term remotely. Right. Yeah. And it also helpful. It's also helpful that we live in an industry that is largely, largely made up of hedgehogs. <laughs> Versus boxes. <laughs> yes. Well, we're all, we're all, we're all introverts. <laughs> so, go ahead. No, so go ahead. That's fine, Roland. 
No, no, no. Well, um, so one of, one of the challenges that, that we face sometimes is something we just ran into is that depending on where people are, are located around the world, sometimes you can actually have some, some actual, not metaphorical, but physical latency um, going on in terms of VoIP communications. Uh, we happen to be about 12,000 miles apart. Um, I'm 12,000 miles away from Russ and, and Tom right now. And so um, it's important sometimes to, to take that into account when you're, when you're speaking, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, the, you're you're right. Uh, we most of us do tend to be uh, hedgehogs uh, rather rather than boxes. And I guess another thing uh, that's important as well is that to really be successful and and to 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 be able to be a force for positive change and advancing the state of the art and those kinds of things, it's very important for technical people, skilled technical people, to work on on. Um, honing those soft skill, skills and learning how to be um, more gregarious and, and more conversational um, because no matter how effective you are in whatever your specialization is, if you are perceived as being difficult to work with, if you are perceived as uh, only caring about your own goals and not being able to slot in as part of a team, even though you're great at what you do and you're recognized for that, it makes it challenging to work together in a face-to-face -face environment. And if you're working remotely uh, and, and you're, you're, you end up with the unfortunate tag of being difficult to work with, then the fact that you're remote uh, makes it easy for people to come up with excuses not to include you. And that means that you're not going to be contributing to the maximum that you put in your organization, which means that you're not ultimately going to be very effective. Right. Yep, exactly. I completely agree. And I think that's in the office and out of the office as well. But, you know, on the, on the other side, I find going to the office, what I tend to do, and then we'll, we'll, I guess we can dive into some more practical concepts here, maybe as we, we run through stuff. But what I tend to do is when I'm in the office, I tend to focus on doing nothing but social stuff. I try not to bring my laptop to the office. I try to bring an iPad that just gives me something to do, check email, do this, that, and the other. And I try not to bring a laptop so that I'm, uh, when I'm in the office, I'm in the office. And I'm not like split between being in the office and doing project work. But when I'm at home and doing project work, I tend to do project work. <laughs> I tend to not be as social as I might otherwise be. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually, it's good, great minds think alike. I do the same thing. I uh, actually use an iPad mini, and I have a, a keyboard case from a company called Zag, Z-A-G-G, that turns it into it like a small mini laptop, you know, uh, if I need to use it that way. And I wear uh, these pants that are basically business BDUs. They look like normal, casual business like They actually have big BDU-style pockets. And so I can actually take that little iPad mini with that attached keyboard and stick it in my pants pocket. And I take, uh, along with me, I take the adapter for the lightning uh, to VGA, lightning to HDMI, so I can plug it in, you know, to a projection system if I need to do a presentation. I also have a Bluetooth remote uh, with a combined laser pointer that works with it as well. And so, uh, and I make sure that all my, my current stack of presentations and so forth are synced up with, you know, via, via office uh, um, so that I can, uh, if I need to, Use, use that uh, iPad, or I've done this with my iPhone as well, use it to give presentations um, if, if necessary. But like you said, otherwise remove yet another technological barrier between me and the, and the folks in the office when, when, I, when I'm actually physically present. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tom, on the other side, I mean, you're in the office more. Do you cut yourself off from people somehow wearing headphones or do something else to... <laughs> 
Yeah, a little bit. I mean, we're, it's an open plan office, so all the baggage that goes with that. And it's uh. all, <laughs> uh, awful, awful. I'm, yeah, it's terrible. But um, in, in my situation, it's a, it's a hybrid. Basically, um, everybody, the message from leadership is you're all adults. We just expect you to get your work done. And, and, you know, there's no policing. There's no, it's very favorable. I can choose the balance of in-office versus out-of-office time as I see fit. And I think if, if you have to do the hybrid thing and not fully remote, I think that's a pretty ideal scenario. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot more. When you're working remote, um, you need to take more responsibility for, you know, being emotionally intelligent and for, you know, understanding other people. It's just when you're there in the same space, you sort of take a lot of things for granted, I think. But if you're, if you're remote and you don't um, try to be emotionally intelligent and responsive to people, then, um, you know, like Roland said, you're going to, you're going to be even more of a disadvantage. I totally have seen that. The other thing is, um, I think to me, working remote versus non-remote is not nearly as difficult as being in different, uh, you know, drastically different time zones. Like if you're in the same time zone, remote is, it's easy, I think, um, with the technology we have. But when you're offset by eight or 10 hours, um, you know, the start of your day is the end of another's or something like that. I think that those are the, the, the biggest challenges with remote work in my experience. Yeah, yeah it's the, the time zone thing can, can be a killer. I, I'm 12 hours opposite you guys, and that actually works out pretty well because the thing is, it, it, at a glance, I mean, you have daylight savings time where you are. I don't have it where I am. But other than that, it's easy for me to track, and I always, on my watch, I have uh, Eastern time you know, showing up on my, my uh, Apple Watch uh, uh, as well as the, the local time so I can see what time it is. Um, so, so being 12 hours actually out of sync makes it easy for me because my morning lines up like with you guys, with your evening folks on the East Coast very well. Um, my, my biggest challenge when I'm talking to folks in the United States is Pacific time. Uh, but that one, that one's a little bit difficult. But what I tell folks is, you know, um, here uh, uh, I'm willing to to uh, conform to your schedule. Um, so just let me know, and you know, whenever the team can meet, that's fine. And to that end, there's a great tool. I actually pasted in the chat here. It's um, timeanddate.com/slash/worldclock/slash/meeting.html. And that's a, it's a really nice free tool for the people at timeanddate.com. And what it lets you do is lets you go in there and add as many time zones as you need to uh, based on the name of the time zone or the city for all the different participants. And what it does is it looks at the normal business day. And, of course, you can tweak that if you want to, to figure out the, the, the least decimal meeting time. Uh, for everybody, and uh, I, I, that's, I found that to be an invaluable tool in, in trying uh, uh, to, to overcome that uh, as much as possible. Yeah, there's another one called World Time Buddy that I know that other people use. You can find a few of those tools, but yeah, I think those are very invaluable. One thing people often don't realize is that you can go into many email programs, not necessarily all of them, but many of them, and add multiple time zones to your time display within the email program. So Outlook, for instance, allows you to add multiple columns with different time zones. So when you go to schedule a meeting, you can actually say, oh, I'm in whatever time zone, I'm in Eastern time, and you know whoever is in California, I need to just check the California time. I'll pop that time zone in there, and as I'm setting up the meeting, I can look and see, understand like what it would look like for them. And one thing people don't think about when they do that is they don't think about lunchtime and dinner time. And you know, for those of us with families, <laughs> sitting together with my family for dinner is a big deal. Um, 
you know, so it's, it's one of those things that people don't tend to think about very much. True, but if, as, as, as people get to know you and work with you more, um, then, you know, that, that evolves um, over time. And um, something that I found, too, is, you know, maximizing the use of audio and video technology is, I think, very important as well. Like uh, most of us on, you know, us on, on this call, we've actually invested out of our own pockets in audio hardware and video hardware to help maintain that human dimension so that, we're, again, we're not just, a, you know, necessarily a faceless, you know, low-quality, static voice uh, coming across a, a polycom unit somewhere, but we actually have good, you know, decent audio and people can see us and... I do a lot of audio-only calls, but, you know, again, I try to, you know, for the, for the important ones with lots of people, I, I make sure I use my nice audio rig. Um, and the other thing is I make sure that I'm reachable. Um, my company, we use Slack. Uh, I find Slack to be an invaluable tool, and there's, you know, other tools that are similar uh, to Slack. But Slack allows uh, collaboration in many different ways. It's kind of like IRC++, and you can uh, use it for VoIP, video calling, for screen sharing, have your conversations in different channels, uh, you can paste documents into it, it's fully searchable, and it's very, very useful. And, you know, whatever kind of collaboration tools your organization uses these days, um, you can almost always uh, make use of them on your mobile devices, on your phones, on your tablets. And, you know, if you're using a VPN, you can get VPN access as well. And so making sure that, um, you know, if you're in a job that is subject sometimes to um, on-call work or, you know, any kind of emergency or, you know, being, being called in to deal with the crisis, it's important to make sure that you're reachable. Uh, uh, when folks uh, when folks need it, another trick that I like to do with those collaboration tools is that most of them allow you to select certain keywords um, that will create an alert for you and let you know. So, like your name, for example, or your nickname, or you know, a product that you're responsible for, or a piece of technology, or a client, or something like that. And I actually have a pretty pretty extensive list of keywords that that I have selected that will alert me. And let me know, um, you know, when I'm awake, I see it live. If I'm asleep and I wake up, I, I see it when I wake up uh, so that I can catch up uh, pretty quickly. And something else that, that a lot of those tools allow you to do is you can create different channels for different kinds of things. And I have some channels set up with my team uh, that are for urgent issues only because it alerts everybody on the team, no matter where they are around the world. And it will overwrite uh, your, your, your muting settings. And so this is for, you know, like a crisis kind of thing. And then spend some time educating people in other groups so that they know when it's appropriate, you know, to, to use those alert channels versus the normal stuff, which can then, you know, be picked up asynchronously um, when folks are, are uh, moving, moving around in, during their normal business time. Yeah, I'm a very heavy Slack user myself. Yeah, great tool. Yeah, it's a great tool. Yeah, and and I think that part of that is, um, believe it or not, is learning for the whole team to learn to use those tools. I mean, so here's something I found when I first started working on a team that had a lot of remote people. I was in Raleigh. We had several people in um, Reading, England. We had several people in Scotts Valley and a couple of people in um, other places, Brussels and a few other places. And one thing that was very difficult was when everybody who was in Reading would get together in a conference room and have a conversation and then kick on a polycom and expect everybody else just to participate, 
yeah. as if they were there, right? <laughs> or in Raleigh, the same way, right? It was so, so difficult for everybody to get on the call and get involved because you had some people who were local working on a whiteboard and everybody else was on this call. So we used to make it a team discipline that we would, if one person was on the call, we would all get on the call and force ourselves to use the tools available on that whatever tool it was, whether it's Zoom or Slack or whatever it might happen to be, to, to communicate. So first of all, it taught us to use those tools better, right? Um, and that's an important thing, learning how to use the whiteboard in Zoom or, or Skype or whatever the case might happen to be. And the second thing is it put everybody on equal footing. I think those are really important um, concepts to get across when you're in a remote, a team with remote people. One thing that I've um, found successful, so there's a number of free whiteboard tools out there that you can use that are independent of the, you know, if your company doesn't want to pay for the paid version, you know, the paid version of Slack or whatever, um, you can go get free whiteboard tools and then you can do the hybrid thing where you have a couple of people in a conference room, just, you know, put your screen on the projector and then um, go to this tool. Uh, Sketchboard is one that I use. And I just send the link out with a public, uh, you know, you can set the whiteboard to be public and they can see you while you're drawing it. Um, and there's a, a number of other things that do this. Lucidchart does this, I think. But like the, the whole idea of a whiteboard doesn't need to be a physical thing anymore. There's definitely applications that will help with that. Right. So Roland, you were going to, yeah, jump yeah, in. And, and if you're using a physical whiteboard, it's good for someone, because we all have cameras in our pockets now. And so it's good for if someone's in a physical conference room with a physical whiteboard to make sure that, um, uh, number one, uh, with all the different cameras we have available, that they train a camera on the whiteboard, right, mm-hmm. so that all the remote participants can see it. And then secondly, to take a photograph of it afterwards and share it out via Slack or, you know, or whatever type of uh, information uh, dissemination uh, technology you use. And yeah, Russ, to your earlier point, the, the whole phenomenon of having some, some, some people remote and everybody else in a room on a polycom, unless people have spent a lot of money on the audio in that conference room, it's very difficult for the remote people to understand what's going on. Um, and, and so it's, 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 it's very detrimental. So it's, it's, it is best, if, if at all possible, for, for folks to, you know, to be using uh, remote tools. You know, headphones are, are an absolute must. Um, you know, I'm, uh, good, good uh, over-the-ear cans that have a good seal or you know, IEMs that go in your ear either way so that, so that the audio doesn't bleed. Uh, you know, back and get a feedback loop and, and things like that. And uh, another very simple trick that I found that helps a lot is when you're using some kind of conferencing system that, that has a set meeting identity, like a Zoom or a WebEx or, or something of that nature, when you're planning, when you're setting up your meeting, set it up so that people can join early uh, because that way they can join early um, and they don't have to sit there, you know, hitting, you know, hitting refresh all the time, you yeah. know, because that, that's actually very, very frustrating. And so when I set up a WebEx meeting, for example, I typically set it up for the max, which is people can join up to 15 minutes early. And I myself um, try to join at least five minutes early whenever possible, because that allows for some time for some social chit chat, because there's always somebody else who's going to join early too. And again, some of that you know, seemingly trivial, but, you know, vital, conver- you know, vital, actually, you know, casual conversation to help renew the, the bonds of friendship and camaraderie and, and everything else, you know, it allows you to, to do that kind of thing. And so I found uh, that to be uh, pretty, uh, pretty useful uh, in terms of, of making use of those t- technologies is to allow people to join early, 
join a few minutes early yourself if possible. Yeah, the not the not being able to join the meeting until the host starts it, that is to me is super frustrating. It's a bad way to start a meeting. <laughs> like yeah, people are ticked off and yeah. Yeah. They're sitting there waiting in whatever lobby it is that thing has with the little thing sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> And you can't do anything else. That's the thing. You, you have to be fixated on that thing, right? Yeah. You know, until you, until you get in. Um, something else uh, is, that's very basic is punctuality. I mean, it's always going to be punctual. Punctuality is showing a form of respect, you know, for the other people uh, with whom you're interacting and being late. Uh, unless you know, everybody has emergencies, right? But even if you have an emergency, typically unless you're in the hospital, you know, you can you know let somebody know, say, hey, I can't make it, or we'll have to reschedule, or or what have you. It's really, really key, and especially if you're a remote employee, you want to be on time, you want to be early if possible, uh, because that way you're showing respect to everybody. You're not the cause of delay. You're not cause of people not being able to get their work done. Instead, you're somebody who's contributing rather than, than, uh, than uh, causing the problem. Um, uh, a lot of times when I'm in remote meetings, I volunteer, when it, when, especially if most of the people are local and I'm not, I volunteer to be described. Uh, that way I'm, you know, again, I'm contributing in, a, you know, in, a, in a, a secondary way that's useful to the rest of the team. And it also gives me an excuse if there's an audio problem to ask people to repeat themselves uh, without being too <laughs> annoying uh, because I want to get it right uh, uh, for the transcript. And then finally, um, you know, we, people have families and, you know, different kinds of living arrangements and things like that. But it's very, very important that from an audio perspective and a video perspective, if you're doing video, that you have sufficient isolation so that, uh, you know, family members, you know, friends doing things in other rooms, that that doesn't bleed in, you know, pets, children, that kind of thing. And especially when you, if you have a family, it's important that everybody in the family understands that, that uh, um, you know, when, when that office door closes, that that's work time. And it's not just social time and, and, and that kind of thing. Because, you know, the first 18 times or so that somebody's uh, rambunctious pets, for example, you know, burst into the room uh, joyfully, um, it's amusing. But after that, it gets kind of old really quickly. And so that's part of the professionalism is to, to make sure that, that you have engineered a space for yourself. Uh, on the so other, you can participate. Go ahead, go ahead, Tom. Oh, sorry. I, and I was going to say, on the other side of that too, there's an obligation, um, like for the per, for the person who's not, especially if it's hybrid, where some people are in the office and some people are at home. Some of the best relationships I've had, remote relationships, is when you know, because I, I have young children, and sometimes those things are just unavoidable. And some of the best feelings I've had towards people is when you know, something happens, a kid is crying or something, and I come back and I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, because I, because I know that I have disrupted things, right, with my kid. And um, the other person says, don't worry, I've got kids. I know what you're saying. It's all good. Let's, you know, so you, you try not to do it. But also, if you're on the other side of that, you just, I mean, you, I think you get a lot of, you build a lot of relationships by uh, being, you know, compassionate with people too. Right. Right, yeah. And I think for, as a remote worker, you know, we've talked a little bit about some of the things you can do, the isolation, stuff like that. The other thing I think is that is really important is to intentionally include other people in what you're working on. Um, don't Don't be the group sitting in the office and sitting around going, well, let's talk about this great idea over, I, I used to work at a company where this happened all the time. I would go to a meeting on a Monday and I would sit there and I would go through all the stuff with the people and I'm remote and I would go through the remote whiteboard and we'd figure everything out. And then next Monday, we'd come back to the same meeting and they would start completely over because they had had 
in the hall meetings for the entire week without me. Yep. And then they would decide a completely different direction to go down. And I would be like, just stop doing that. And as a, as, as a remote person, you can't do it either, right? You can't sit there and build an entire set of slides for a presentation you're co-presenting with somebody else, or even the, that, that's going to represent your team. And then just go present it and not say anything to anybody because you have to be remote and nobody knows what you're doing. So it's like this line of communication thing that you've got to keep going somehow. That's a really good point. And, and that also, I mean, you're soliciting feedback as well, right? So you're right. making sure that what you're doing is representative of, of the consensus and that it, you know, everybody agrees that it's advancing you know, the, the mutual goals and that sort of thing. And so it, 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 this is actually a great way to make yourself you know, do that. We, we all should be doing it anyway. But you know, sometimes it's, it's easy to get, you know, okay, well, I'm in the groove and I'm doing all this stuff and, and to stop, well, you know what, I really need to talk to my team members. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a really good thing. And along those lines as well, um, uh, my boss, my, you know, my, my various stakeholders whom I work with, they never, ever have to ask me what I'm working on because I have make sure that I have enough interaction with them so that they know what I'm working on. And that way, uh, they're, they're kept apprised of what I'm doing, uh, the projects that I'm on that they're interested in. You know, they have a sense of where it is. And uh, they don't feel like they have to, you know, come and find me. They can, at a glance, you know, or they, they are, you know, looking at a Slack DM or, you know, in a channel or, or you know, whatever the technology is. They understand what I'm doing. And that way, if they do need to have conversations while I'm not present, they're apprised of what I've been doing. And so they can all just, you know, integrate it intelligently into the larger uh, group conversation. And so keep it, keeping that kind of communication uh, open is very, very important. And, you know, in, in, in general, you know, showing initiative and, but making sure that it's respectful collegial uh, initiative is, is, is a good idea generally. And it's absolutely critical uh, when, when you are uh, a remote employee. But, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, obligations and all the different things you have to do, and that's great. But the flip side of it is that you have a tremendous amount of freedom uh, right. as a remote employee because you're able to, you know, to, to have some flexibility in your schedule. You're able to, you know, sometimes to deal with personal issues as they arise and get them dealt with quickly and then, you know, get back to work. It's important not to abuse that, right? You have to be disciplined about it. You have to keep your calendar, your electronic calendar, you know, your exchange calendar, your Google calendar, or whatever you use. You need to make sure that at the very least, your availability is, is there so that people see when, you, when you're there. Um, you know, doing, dropping a, a note into a Slack channel or you know, whatever the equivalent is saying, hey, here are my, you know, availability, my available hours. Feel free to, you know, to grab me uh, during this time frame. Those kinds of things are, are uh are key as well, but you can be effective, you can be successful, you can, you can participate and in, in accomplish things professionally um, uh, in a way that um, is, is sometimes can, can be challenging in an office environment. So we don't, don't want to make it sound like this is some insurmountable thing you have to, you know, to be, to, you know, to, to, to do all these, jump through all these suits because there are a lot of rewards if you, if you do it successfully. Yep. Cool. Well, let's stop it right there. And um, we'll, maybe we'll come back on at some point in the future and see if we have any more lessons learned or whatever. We're going to bring Roland back on to talk about DDoS at some point, too. <laughs> Great. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much, Ross. It's thank a pleasure you. as always. And Tom, yep. Tom, good to meet you virtually. And I look forward to the opportunity yep. to speak with you again. Hey, uh, Roland, are you on Twitter or anything? Can people get in touch with you? You don't blog any place, I don't think, right? No, I'm I, so so. I'm kind of a uh, I, I I'm not big on on social media. 
um, if, if people need to find me, um, uh, they can generally find me uh, online via, you know, search engines, but I don't, I don't tweet uh, regularly. I don't write well. Okay. I don't, you know, blog regularly. I, I write sometimes things for uh, my company. I work for a company called NetScout Arbor. And uh, sometimes I do DDoS uh, uh, analysis, analysis of different DDoS techniques, and that shows up. And I present at conferences and things like that. I guess I'm kind of a, you know, you know, all, I'm, I'm a big hypocrite with all this talk about, you know, collaboration. You know, <laughs> I'm kind of an, an anti-social networker when it comes to that kind of thing. <laughs> It's okay. And Tom, you're on Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter at Tom Ammon and uh, LinkedIn as well. Okay, cool. And I'm Russ White. I'm on LinkedIn. Rule11.tech, Twitter, which I don't ever log into, but I'm there. Whatever. You can find me wherever you want to. That's fine. All right. And thanks for joining us for this episode of The Hedge. And thanks, Roland. And thanks, Tom. Thank you for joining us. You can find The Hedge at rule11.tech.